This is the last week in 1 Peter. Next week we go to 2 Peter, which is not a continuation of 1 Peter. It's a whole different letter with a whole different theme and topic, and it's much shorter. Um, so that'll be starting next week, 2 Peter. But we're finishing 1 Peter this week. So we're in chapter 5, starting with, uh, well, actually 6 through 14 is the total. We'll start with 6 through 11, the first few verses. Um, so Peter's wrapping up his letter with some closing thoughts, some closing encouragements, and in, in some ways a summary of what he's talked about all throughout the letter. Um, and it may seem at first, like maybe when the first time, at first pass, first reading, is that he's kind of contradicting himself because one hand he's kind of saying, hey, I want you to just accept what God's doing, even though it's hard. And then he says, but resist, <laughs> right? So which is it, right? Am I supposed to be like chilling and re relaxing or am I supposed to be fighting? Which is it? And he's saying basically both, okay? So let's read this together and we'll discuss it. First Peter 5, 6 through 11 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the, notice in verse 6, there's the word therefore, which is an important word. Okay, the therefore just refers to the preceding quote that we covered last week. Um, where he quotes Proverbs 3, um, saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so the, the theme here is humility. He says, so if God blesses those who are humble but opposes those who are proud, maybe the first thing you should do is humble yourself to God, right? Not only do you humble yourself towards each other, right, but you need to ultimately humble yourself towards God. And he uses this phrase, which I love, which is the mighty hand of God. And that's a phrase used repeatedly in the Exodus story. When the Israelites were delivered from Egypt and escaped across the desert to go to their final promised land. That phrase, the mighty hand of God, is used a lot. And was used to refer to the powerful interventions of God to deliver his people by bringing various judgments. Right, remember that in Egypt, there were a lot of you know, plagues and things against Egypt to get them free to begin with. And then the parting of the Red Sea and all the miracles, the manna every morning and all of that. That's the mighty hand of God, all right? That's the phrase they would use to refer to that. And it seems obvious that Peter is evoking that imagery um, in this point, in this case, on purpose, okay? He's doing that on purpose. He's calling on this imagery to remind them that they're once again exiles in a strange land, which is really the theme. If I could say there's one thing, there's not, there's more than one, but the, the central theme of his letter is you're aliens and strangers. You don't belong here. And you should feel that. <laughs> it's not, if you feel comfortable here amongst a culture and a world that doesn't follow God and doesn't you know, ascribe to his values, if you feel comfortable, then there's something wrong. 
There should be a tension in your life all the time. A, a, a rubbing across the grain with the values of the world that you live in versus the values of the kingdom of God. But the good news is it's not all bad, right? Which is there's the mighty hand of God and it's by God's mighty hand that they are going to be delivered. So he's saying just like the Israelites were delivered from Egypt and were carried by the mighty hand of God across the desert through all those hardships in the same way you now are exiles in a strange land, but God is going to deliver you in the same way. So that's good news. Peter's not only calling for humility in a general sense, like just be a humble person, which is how I think a lot of times we mean it. He's also calling for humility that is demonstrated by a submission specifically to the hand of God itself, even when his hand leads you into a difficult place. So this is not just a general, yeah, God's in charge, but what does it mean for God to be in charge? What does it mean to be submitted to him when he his sovereign leadership, his sovereign hand leads you into a place that's actually harder than if you had disobeyed him. That's when this humility and submission thing becomes really difficult, right? It's easy to be submitted to God when he's just pouring out blessing on you every day and everything is going great. It's very difficult when it's not. So God's goodness and faithfulness cannot be measured by us at all from our perspective. You are not the judge of God's goodness, and neither am I. God is good because he says he's good. <laughs> Only he has the perspective on eternity and on, on himself to define his own goodness. Our perspective is clouded and small and limited. We are so quick to sit on our ash heap and curse God when he leads us into a hard place because our vision is limited to our own tiny vantage point. You can only see this little bit, right? Like the Psalm says, your word is a lamp under my feet. We talked about that on Wednesday night for a minute. It's not the, a lamp doesn't show you the whole picture. It just shows you what you need to see right in front of you. And so often when we go through a hard time, we shake our fist at God, maybe just in our heart, quietly where no one can see it and we call into question his goodness to us or his faithfulness to us or his might his ability to do anything but only God has the whole picture only he sees what he does in its entirety therefore when God calls himself good and faithful he is just because he says he is when God says that what he is doing will be good for us and good for his glory, it will be. Not because we say it, but because he says it. And this is what it means to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, as Peter says. This is Job placing his hand over his mouth in Job 40, verse 4. It's Abraham raising his knife over Isaac. It's David coming out from behind the luggage to be anointed king, even though he didn't want to and didn't feel qualified. It's Hosea marrying a prostitute. That's a fun story. It's the disciples taking up their crosses and following Jesus. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's every Christian who has ever lived or will live has had to have a moment, at least one moment like that, usually many moments, where you see that God is leading you into a difficult place, and you choose to follow him anyway. 
It's also what the rich young ruler refused to do in Mark chapter 10. Because the truth is, that story makes it clear that you cannot bear the name of Jesus without submitting to his mighty hand, regardless of where it leads you. This is what Peter is calling these people, because remember, these people are out. They're not sitting in Jerusalem where the culture around them is at least, you know, God-fearing. These are people who are in Greece and Rome, surrounded by a pagan culture that despises them and despises their holy lifestyle because they see their holy lifestyles as an indictment on their lifestyle. And he's saying to them, basically, look, God has led you here. (laughs) This is not an accident. God has led you here, so submit to his hand because he is going to deliver you in his time. So Peter gives us two things, a future hope and a present comfort. So after telling us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he gives us a future hope and a present comfort, which is great. So first, the future hope is in time you will be rescued. I really wish the in time little, those two words were not there, don't you? Because it's clear he's qualifying. He's saying, look, when God's ready to deliver you, he will deliver you. But there's this in-between time that's undefined. You don't know how long it is. We're just going to have to suffer through it. Peter and every other New Testament author, by the way, constantly reminds us that the earth is not our home and it does not hold our best hope. There is hope, which he gets to next, but it's not our best hope. Your best hope is to come at the return of Jesus. Our best hope is in the future. And so right now it feels like nothing man-made is secure. I don't know if you feel that way, but I do. I think that's the costliest, most stressful thing about this season in 2020 is that nothing stays where you put it. Like no decision stays made. No, uh, nothing that you used to sort of lean on in terms of routine or your finances or your job or even your health or um, for, for some of you, it's like you, you're your job is all over the place and you're having to change careers maybe. It's like nothing that you used to depend on to, to make you feel like your life was solid and secure. None of it is there except for God. Every man-made thing that you reach out to grab onto to get your bearings is shaky and unstable right now. It's disorienting. When that happens, we need to grab onto this hope that this life is not our best hope. It's not our best life. You're not living your best life now, no matter how good it is. It's not your best. Your best is left to come. And it is sure to come. That's Peter's point. It's the same God that delivered you. So think about for yourself in your own life, the times when God has delivered you and blessed you. And you knew this is from God. God is speaking to me right now. I mean, every blessing you have is from him. But I know if you're a Christian, you have moments where you know God intervened in your life and you saw it for what it was. So you think about that, and that is your down payment on the surety that he is coming for you ultimately very soon. And so secondly, he says, put your worry on him. So first, you have your future hope. That's your best hope, okay? But what about now, you say? That's great. I can't wait. Maybe it'll be soon, right? Things are getting crazy. Maybe it'll be soon. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be another hundred years or a thousand years. We don't know. So what about right now? 
Peter addresses that too. He says, he's quick to remind us that we're not left on our own while we wait. Just put your worry on him. Peter isn't talking about general stress or anxiety. This kind of anxiety he's addressing is, has more to do with worry about something that's going to happen or might happen. Some calamity, some, it's, you know, the, te- the re- definition I wrote down here is worry or apprehension regarding possible danger or misfortune. Anybody dealing with that right now? <laughs> These worries can be about legitimate things that you think really might actually might happen and those are realistic concerns or they can be completely illegitimate like fantasies that may never happen. Either one, he's addressing that. Real or imagined worries. In this case of the original audience that he's talking to, they're obviously worried about persecution and that's a legitimate, real concern. And actually we know historically that did happen. Nero comes in and he just, it got bad, bloody and violent. And sometimes our worries are over things that just never happen, but you're still concerned, right? In our case, there are many possible dangers and misfortunes to be apprehensive about, especially right now. This has been quite a year. It's only been five months, and it feels like a year has passed. We were just talking about this, that this morning. It's been, what, five months, almost six months? It feels like a year has gone by. So for us, there's just so many possible dangers and misfortunes that we can be concerned about, about tomorrow. What's going to happen with the election? What's going to happen with your job? What's going to happen with school and your kids? What's going to happen with our country if this guy gets elected or if this guy gets elected? What are we going to do? And Peter says, put all of that, cast all of it, means like throw it, like cast it off, like throw it away from yourself. You cast it off onto him. This is directly connected to humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. One leads to the other. So the trick to dealing with worry is not just trying to imagine that the bad thing you're worrying about isn't going to happen. Because what about the legitimate things? (laughs) What about the things that actually might happen? If you've lived long at all, you know that bad things happen to everybody and nobody gets out. Nobody gets out alive, right? Nobody gets out unscathed. There is absolutely no reason for you to think that nothing will happen to you, but it will happen to your neighbor. It's one of the hard lessons of life is finding out that you're not that special. We all know that something will eventually happen to us that is unpleasant. And it's naive to think that nothing bad will ever happen to you. So that doesn't work to just convince yourself, well, the thing I'm worried about is just not going to happen. There's no real comfort in denial. It may work for like a minute. So what do we do? The real trick to dealing with worry is to sanctify your imagination. Worry is the fruit of what I call an unsanctified imagination. You're imagining a future without God, or at least without a God who cares or is paying attention to you or can do anything about it. You're imagining a future without God, 
A sanctified imagination is an imagination that sees a good, mighty, and loving God in your future, whether calamity or blessing happens. He waits for you in the middle of that calamity or in the middle of that blessing. This is what it means. This is how we deal with worry. It's what it means to submit to the mighty hand of God. All right. Sounds like our video is gone, but we'll get it back up in a minute, but you can still hear me. I'll keep going. So whether it's calamity or blessing, he waits for you in the middle of that, and that's how we deal with worry. That's what it means to submit to the mighty hand of God. And that's Peter's point. And so if you're worried and anxious about what's going to come and what's going to happen, then it probably means that you're not really submitted to the hand of God in some area of your life. Worry is a great sign that, that's, that you're not submitted to God in that area. Peter then goes on to, worry, uh, to warn us about our adversary, the devil, who he says prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. By the way, this entire section echoes James 4. You can go read that. It's a parallel section. It's really interesting to read the two. I'll read you um, just a part of it where in James 4, 6 through 7, he says this. This will sound familiar if you just, because of what we just, we just read. James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, we heard that last week, same proverb. And then verse 7, James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the same idea. I love this because it doesn't just imply, it doesn't imply great effort on our part. Just resist the devil. The church t- together resists the devil by standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus just tells us to, or excuse me, Peter just tells us to oppose the devil. Just oppose him. You don't have to overcome him. You don't have to be stronger than the devil. You don't have to be stronger than your circumstances. You don't have to be stronger than anything. You just resist. James is even more clear saying that our resistance will cause the devil to flee. That's not just stop. That doesn't say he will stop bothering you. It says he will flee like run away in fear. Like that's a panic. That's like, ah, run away. That's what the devil will do when you simply oppose him. Peter's addressing the churches as a whole, not an individual. That's important, I think, here to see that, that you don't resist the devil by yourself. It's not a solitary activity. For some reason, we've gotten this idea about spiritual warfare that it's a solitary individual activity that we do by ourselves. Now, that's true. You can resist the devil. The Holy Spirit's in you. You've got enough of the Holy Spirit to resist the devil by yourself. But we're not commanded to do that. It's not how this is supposed to work. We're supposed to do this as a community. The resistance Peter has in mind is all the things that he has detailed already previously in this letter. Live like a Christian. <laughs> Stand firm in the gospel. Act like a Christian. So you don't have to outwit or overpower the devil and his influence in your life. Nor do you have to resist him alone. 
All you have to do is join the rest of the body of Christ in resisting him in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes all you know to do is just to pray and say, I resist you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and that's all you got. You know what? That's okay. That's enough. That's what Peter's asking you to do. So let's finish out the section, 1 Peter 5, 12 to 14. By the way, Silvanus here is also same guy, Silas, as in Paul and Silas. Silas's friend, confidant, um, fellow laborer. It was probably the same guy who dictated, he probably dictated 1 Peter, <clears throat> but we know at least by this phrase here, he delivered it, okay, for, for Peter. Here's what it says. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, we don't know who this is, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. I love that. Um, none of y'all can kiss me today, all right, <laughs> except for my wife. But I get it, right? Greet each other. This is how they greeted each other. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So here's what I want to do. I just want <clears throat> to close this morning by just praying over worry. I know right now, especially with school starting, and it's, it's, it's insanely disorganized, and they're doing their best. Um, I don't think there is a better way to organize things because it's just nobody knows what to do especially parents with young kids where maybe you're a single mom and you've got to work and yet you've got a young child that's got to go through school at home. What are you supposed to do? And for some of us, I, you know, if this is not that hard because you're like for us, our kids are older and because of what I do and my wife does for work, we're flexible and it's, a, it's a really a gift that <laughs> we get more time with our kids. But then others, it's it's you're pulling out your hair. And I think what you need is to, to begin with saying, okay, you start from this place of saying, this is impossible. This is an impossible situation for me. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to, how to handle it. I don't know what decisions to make. How long is this going to last? What should I do? But you start from what Peter calls, submit yourself to the mighty hand of God. Say, God, we sang the song this morning that really is just this verse. God, I, I'm not enough for this. <laughs> I'm not up to the task. This is bigger than me. This is harder than anything I can handle. You have brought me, but you have brought me here. I am in your hand, and I submit to your hand. And whatever, wherever this is going, what I will not do is imagine tomorrow without you, which is what the enemy wants you to do. That's despair. That's hopelessness is to imagine tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day where you are alone on your own to figure out your life. And to be sanctify your imagination, which is what I'm going to pray for, that when you look at tomorrow, you would actually see God there. And whatever it is that's going on, hard or easy, that you see God in that. And that's where you start. And that's not an answer, I know, to all the practical issues in your life of what to do. But that's where you start. And the second thing you do from there, which will happen naturally if you start with submitting yourself to the hand of God, is you cast your worry upon him. 
You cast your anxiety and your fear on him. And so that's what I want to pray for you, that the Holy Spirit would meet you right where you are right now, sitting wherever you're sitting, and that you would be able to submit yourself and that your anxiety and worry about tomorrow would be put on him. So let's pray for that. God, thank you for all the times in our past that you have delivered us, that we have seen your mighty hand at work in our lives, where we had no way out, we had no recourse, we had no power to overcome, and you intervened. And so God, we thank you for that, and we stand on those moments as down payments on your future deliverance. And God, we submit ourselves right now to your hand. God, would you help us to see where you're leading each family, each person that's listening to this? And God, I pray that by your spirit right now, you would sanctify our imagination. God, when we picture our future, whether it's five minutes from now, tomorrow, the next day, 10 years from now, whatever it may be, God, every imagination that we have, would be sanctified with your presence in it, that we would see you there walking through these things with us. And God, I pray for each of us, especially the parents of young kids right now that are struggling to figure all this out. God, I pray that you would bring peace and that our worry and anxiety would be cast off onto you. God, that these difficult times, these difficult decisions would not overwhelm us and make us hopeless. God, help us to listen to Peter and live like Christians in these days. Help the church to rise up and demonstrate what it looks like to follow you, God, and to live like Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. Bless you, and we'll see you next week.